This insert is brought to you by Radio K Pulpit 7 to 9 a.m. Please visit kpulpit.co.za. Christian perspective on the news does not necessarily reflect the opinions of Radio K Pulpit or the on air presenter, but is the independent viewpoint of the individual contributor. Please send an email to info at kpulpit.co.za should you have any further inquiries. Christian perspective on the news. It's a Friday, so is the turn of Dr. Peter Hammond, the founder of Frontline Fellowship, the Reformation Society, Africa Christian Action, the William Carey Bible Institute, on an unusual day to be alive in this world of ours as we see what's happening in Eastern Europe. Here's Dr. Hammond. Good morning, Dr. Hammond. Good morning, Brad. And I do have many Russian and Ukrainian friends, and I've worked in Eastern Europe as a missionary back in the dark days of the Cold War when we were having to smuggle Bibles behind the Iron Curtain. And uh, I've a perspective from friends. I've got friends who are there, both South African and American missionaries who are working in the Ukraine as well, and, and friends working in Russia as well, who give me different perspectives. I think we need to be very careful when these things happen, knowing that as the first casualty of war is truth, and there's always propaganda from all sides. Mm. And... Uh, a lot of emotion and beating of the war drum, especially from the American press, we've got to expect that. But along with this threat, you know, when there's a major focus on something like a war, often other things happen in the background which one needs to be concerned about, such as the growing threat over Red China's threats to invasion, which could how people are distracted with what's happening in Ukraine. Uh, the world is facing its first serious major war uh, in Europe, that is, uh, since the uh, end of the Cold War, and, and it potentially worse since the Second World War, because the Russians are involved, and we certainly hope and pray that it doesn't come to that. We need to be alert, we need to understand times, we need to pray. But something else that one needs to understand is demographic and historical realities. The vast majority of the population in eastern Ukraine are Russian culturally Russian, linguistically Russian, demographically Russian, and they broke away from Ukraine back in 2014. Now, why did they break away from Ukraine? Well, the U.S. CIA sponsored a color revolution uh, which toppled the elected government, the president, which was a friend of Putin's, an ally of Russia, and Putin, someone who is arguably a client uh, state uh, of the U.S. State Department and uh, is in the pockets of the Biden administration and one of the more corrupt governments on the planet uh, right now in Ukraine. So when people speak of democracy in Ukraine, well, it isn't a democracy, really. And the thing about Ukraine is that it had hugely more territory than was linguistically, demographically justified. The dictator of the Soviet Union, Khrushchev, just put a vast amount of Russian territory into the Ukraine while he was dictator of the Soviet Union. Of course, there was no referendums, and it didn't consider demographic reality. So that is why when the U.S. sponsored a color revolution to topple the elected government in Ukraine back in 2014, uh, the Donbass region, which includes Dinesh and Lahash, seceded. And uh, there was fighting, uh, which ended in August 2014, and the boundaries were recognized in January of 2015 by the Minsk Agreement. And so Ukraine recognized the new boundaries of these uh, 
profession fruit, not that they were officially recognized in the UN or anything like that, but they were 90-something percent Russian, and they wanted to be separate from Ukraine if Ukraine was going to try and join NATO or the EU. They preferred to be independent or better still to rejoin Mother Russia, as they put it. So there is, uh, Crimea is the same. Crimea is 90-something percent Russian, also had uh, referendums just as Lahash and uh, Donetsk did, and therefore they were Russian. They were Russian since the 1700s when Russia liberated from the Turks. So uh, some demographic realities need to be recognized, and to suddenly act as though uh, this grew out of thin air is, of course, not true. There's always a historic context. And there's been a lot of beating the war drums by, for example, American Senator Roger Wicker, Republican from Mississippi, of the Senate Armed Forces Service Committee threatened to rain destruction on Russia should Putin invade Ukraine. And uh, a very uh, irresponsible promise like we don't rule out first-use nuclear action, which is absolutely insane kind of rhetoric mm. and uh, irresponsible threat. So the Donbass region has been part of Russia for centuries, and it first rose to international significance in the 19th century because of its enormous coal reserves. Mm. And the largest city, Donetsk, was actually founded by a British industrialist who made a fortune there mining coal. And after the Bolshevik Revolution, Donbass region was incorporated into the Ukrainian portion of the Soviet Union, even though it was overwhelmingly Russian in population. And having industrial significance made it a region of a flashpoint of contention. Mm. But the population there is overwhelmingly Russian, and they have voted in referendums that proclaim two independent republics. So Luhansk and Donetsk uh, are almost entirely ethnically Russian. I think it's 3.5% put Ukrainian as their home language. And uh, bear in mind that this uh, situation has arisen because of the expansion of NATO. Mm. And Russia's been increasingly alarmed at the advance of NATO into its backyard, which has seen the amalgamation of many former Soviet republics and Warsaw Pact allies. And so despite previous assurances by the West to Russian officials when the Soviet Union broke up and the Warsaw Pact dissolved in 1991, NATO promised not to make inroads into the Russian sphere of influence. Uh, but in the ensuing decades, we've seen Estonia, Latvia, and Lithuania join NATO, which seems fair enough. And in Poland, understandable, Hungary, Czech Republic, Slovakia, Bulgaria, Romania... And many of the previous regions of the former Yugoslavia are all now formally members of NATO. And now Ukraine, Moldova, Georgia, Armenia, and Kazakhstan are beneficiaries of individual partnership action plans or formal cooperative agreements with NATO, which can easily be upgraded to full membership in the future. Mm-hmm. So Russia's borders are increasingly with NATO, and with the exception of Finland, China, and uh, that's about it, Russia now finds itself virtually encircled by NATO members or potential members, and almost all of these new NATO members have also joined the European Union. So imagine the suspicion when Russia sees NATO actually being involved in a coup to take the Ukraine back in 2014, Mm. and it's understandable that they said, well, if you're going to be taking Ukraine, then uh, we will take back Crimea, any warm water port for our Navy. Remember the others, Manance and Vladivostok are icebound most of the year. So these are some of the realities. If we are to understand the times, we need to grasp geostrategic and demographic and also historical realities. And uh, Russia is nationalistic. 
they're resistant to assimilation into any existing international systems. They're very reluctant to enter into any binding agreement or treaty with other countries uh, under any international authority. I think the only ally uh, that they've got in the area is Belarus. Uh, and when we see that the ultimate objective of the internationalists is the establishing a single global new world order and how all the actions are moving towards this, whether you're talking about the United Nations, the World Health Organization, World Trade Organization, IMF, World Bank, and, of course, European Union and NATO, all of these have as their objective replacing independent nations with world governments. So before we take a simplistic view of this, and, of course, one has to... Uh, I, I feel for the Ukrainians, I've got friends there, um, they have suffered a lot, but the Ukrainians think that the U.S. government is extremely hypocritical, considering that the Americans betrayed Ukraine multiple times, including in the First and Second World War, and after the Second World War, because the Ukrainians were liberated by the German army in 1917, and this independence was recognized by even the Soviet Union in the Brest and Tosk Treaty of March 1980, Ukraine was independent. Germany insisted on independence of Finland, Latvia, Lithuania, Estonia, and also Georgia, Armenia, and uh, Ukraine. Mm. But the Americans and British forced uh, the Ukrainians back into the Soviet Union through the Versailles Treaty in 1919, which led to the Holodomor, the murder of millions of Ukrainians, the death by starvation, the decurpization, all these horrific things, with millions more forced into uh, the gulag in the Arctic hellholes of Siberia. And then in the Second World War, the Ukrainian army fought for its independence and was liberated again, but was betrayed by the West into the hands of the Soviet Union. There were units of the Ukrainian army still operating with field artillery, company strength, valiantly striving against Soviet communism as late as 1955 and yet without receiving any support from the Allies, not a bullet or a bandage. Because what Franklin Delano Roosevelt called the Arsenal for Democracy was primarily dedicated to Joseph Stalin's communist dictatorship of the Soviet Union. And then Operation Peel Hall, the U.S. and Britain, under the Yalta Agreement, betrayed 3 million Russians and Ukrainians, 2 million Russians, 1 million Ukrainians living in Western Europe, into the hands of the Soviet NKVD, most of whom were murdered out of hand, and the rest died in the Arctic cohorts of slave laborers in the Gulag concentration camps in Siberia. So uh, when the West pretends to care about Ukraine, the American government doesn't care about their own borders. They're not that concerned about uh, the dictatorial disturbing actions taking part in Canada, and yet the U.S. government claims to be concerned about Ukraine mm. in a situation that they have actually stirred up through the meddling and interference and by staging coups and we really are in a situation where we need to be very careful and thoughtful in our prayers. Bear in mind, according to Operation World, the largest group of Christians in Europe is Russia. Russia is the largest number of Bible-believing born-again Christians in all of Europe. number. second largest group of evangelical Christians in Europe is Ukraine, followed by Romania. And it's deeply disturbing to see nations with a very large Christian population fighting against one another. It's almost a reminder of the First and Second World War. So we need to be deeply concerned, and as 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 1 to 2 says, finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may run swiftly and be glorified, just as it is with you, that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, for not all have faith. This insert was brought to you by Radio K Pulpit, 7 to 9 a.m. 
please visit kpulpit.co.za.